music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield. It's a Hivecast. I'm here with Ira Kaplan and James McNew, Viola Tango, and the new album is called Fade. Guys, welcome. It's good to have you. Nice to be here. Ira, last time I ran into you guys, I, I think I saw you, well, I know I did, at that Alex Chilton tribute night at City Winery, which was an incredible night. I mean... Uh, tell me what songs did you do that night, Ira? Because my my, hmm. my memory escapes me. Do you? We did Windows Hotel? Yeah. yeah. Hotel. I don't remember the title of that. Uh, we did Take Care. Right. Yeah. My baby just cares for me. Yeah, for my big star. And then we maybe just those three, and then we backed John Spencer on Rock Hard and oh, yeah, Bangkok, that's right. and we backed Alan Vega on Rubber Room and uh, Dream Baby Dream. I think. That wow. Was, yeah. Who did Don't Lie to Me? Somebody did that while I was there. I thought it was pretty cool. With Jody Stevens on drums. Yeah, I guess that was, I'm not, I don't even remember now who that, that probably Period. Chris Stamey was part yeah. of that. Oh, yeah, right, and, uh, right, right. Yeah, and Back of a Car was, you know, I love all those songs. Yeah. But so talk to me about Fade. This is great, your 13th album. And when I put on Omen, I heard the first track. I just love the feel of that song. It's the longest track on the album, but the whole feel, the way it sets up the record. Now, you know, I've read that you've talked about, the, you know, basically interwoven themes of the record have to do with aging and relationships. And tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I've read that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so how much truth is there to that? Well, I, no, I, I think there's truth to that. In fact, there's a lot of truth to that. But I'm not 100 percent sure that, that it's that much different from other records. It, it may just be a little more. I don't know, just emerging a little clearer, but I, but I feel that as a lyricist, <laughs> I'm pretty limited. I don't have that many topics. So, um, and I think coming to terms with the past and coping with the present is kind of my beat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and definitely on this record. I mean, for sure. I mean, there's an incredible past to look over when you think now about 13 records and all the compilations that you guys have done, singles. I want to go back to I, that first ad that you took out. What, what newspaper was that in? <laughs> but you mentioned three great artists. You mentioned the Soft Boys, Mission of Burma, and Love, yeah. who are all great, right? So what, when you and did the your Village first ad. Voice. Well, I mean, that was that, that you know, I, I know this, uh, this dates me to back when people Did. bought the Village Voice and things like that. But, uh, I mean, that was really the format, it seemed, for that was like your, the backstage yeah. equivalent of, uh, for finding musicians, and uh, I can't believe it actually worked. That's sort of <laughs> yeah. How many people did you meet that really yeah. knew like Mission to Burma and Soft Boys? Well, Ron we only Hitchcock. needed one. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we did. That's how we met Dave Rick, who ended yeah. up after a kind of circuitous path being our first bassist. Yeah. Who was how old at the time? Thirteen. <laughs> That's certainly how old. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And then the one guy who was also with Liars and DMC was in the band for a while, right? Yeah, he lived across the street from us, Mike Lewis, and we yeah. met him that way. It was, uh, that was... Uh, and we're talking about the Liars from the 80s who did I yeah. want to help you in, <laughs> and those tracks, as opposed to the Liars... Uh, Pronounce the Y a little yes. more yes. clearly. Yeah. But that was, cool. I, I, that was the first thing I actually heard from you, because back in the, that period of time, I remember uh, either Rob Norris or the Bongos or somebody from Hoboken had given me the 7-inch, and I remember seeing A House Is Not A Motel, which is one of my favorite songs by Love, that you actually covered on the B-side of that first single. And I that immediately, I you know, that immediately grabbed my attention at that period of time. Um, 
So is it is it crazy when you go back and you actually hear that track now? Have you listened to it? Have you heard it in the I last few years? Have not heard it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even as recently as a couple of years ago, I, I don't suspect James is the same way. I mean, I don't really know what our records sound like. People, it's funny when you start doing interviews for a new record. People ask to compare with previous ones, and it's three years ago. I the songs they exist for the way we play them now, mm. not the way we recorded them. We just did a show in um, Tokyo. We did this uh, freewheeling old tango show where we play acoustically and take questions from the audience. And, and you kind of, you and you kind of, uh, is it a thing where you weave the songs together yeah. through the questions? And we never right. know what we're gonna play. It's only generated by the questions. It's kind of like our version of uh, improv. And uh, we ended up doing not only a house is not a motel, but we did the A side too. We mm -hmm. we did yeah. both sides of our debut single. Were people excited? Did they know of it there in Japan? Were they, they seemed to know pretty much everything. It was it was pretty. It was incredible, actually. It was really moving. Um, it was really kind of the first time. I mean, we've we've spoken to the you know like Japanese press a lot, but never really to the people who come to our shows and and to speak to them was was really intense because yeah. they they tended to take us very seriously <laughs> and which made us want to answer the questions very seriously and not just like oh don't just make a joke like be sincere and i think our our brains were completely wrung out by the end of the night but it was it was an amazing experience that must be great i just ran into a somebody who went to two of the hanukkah shows that you guys did who said he had a great time he was wearing the rocky and bullwinkle shirt <laughs> and i was at a restaurant i stopped him i said hey you know <laughs> Yellow yeah, Tango. Let's uh, you know. We, so we, I asked him if he went to the shows, and he said that he went to two. How are you breaking up the sets for those shows, Ira? No. Uh, well, by the time it was done, I think there were three songs that we played twice over so just, over eight uh, nights. Yeah. Think about. It. I mean, how, and <laughs> are you doing about fifteen to eighteen songs a night? On, on the yes. Shows? Yeah. So that's a, you there were a lot we didn't get to. I was I, I, was, I was thinking about that the other I, day. I went to write you that email yep. night nine. Yeah, it was incredible. Some, <laughs> yeah. some actual staples of our live yep. set still didn't come up. Wow. Does it, does anybody come and get disappointed and go, oh man, why wouldn't why didn't you do this? Or, or most people understand. This year, uh, if that happened this year, uh, I was oblivious to it. I mean, mm -hmm. We've heard that in the past, and it, it's pretty deflating. But uh, <laughs> uh, I I, th I think we've been doing it enough that people, the audience just seems to get better and better for it. And like this year, one of the things, you know, we always have a comedian there. And this year on the last night, instead of having an actual comedian, we had a friend of ours who does a show on WFMU who's put together- Which guy? Uh, Gaylord Fields. Oh, okay, yeah. And Is Gaylord's that... put together this presentation about the fake Beatle bands of 1964, all the cheesy record- company cash-ins to try it oh out. and there were tons of those tons of them. yeah yeah remember those it was like yeah. called the beat boys and exactly. you know they had like 50 different names so those are funny thing, and it was it's very entertaining but it's it's not stand-up comedy and people to the extent that they've come to expect anything that wasn't it and we stood behind the idea and stood behind gaylord knew it was going to be great but i you never know if the whole audience is going to be with it and they were Night eight. That's great. That yeah. awesome. Now, so to explain it to me. So did he actually play those songs off the records or perform them or kind of show covers? Was there an audiovisual 
uh, component to it. I mean, basically, where you yeah. he'd show the actual it was like a PowerPoint presentation, sort of. Was it really? It was. James, it was. It was. It was, oh, it was a presentation. It was fantastic. That stuff's fantastic. He should, he should really take that thing on the road. I know. Can you imagine today coming out with something like that? Do you imagine the lawsuits just for even doing a knockoff? And in those days, Brian Epstein, of course, wrote off the paper. He yeah. said, oh, merch, we'll, we'll, well give you that. One of the great uh, uh, little details in it is that he, there was very little actual music played. He had two segments where he played excerpts of two songs that were re- actually recorded twice, once by a fake Beatle group and once by a fake Beatle girl group yeah. and that and so he played competing versions and then he said that the then he played another song that was recorded by a fake Beatle group and then what was recorded by a fake chipmunks group yeah <laughs> and it was actually the chipmunks who sued and because what were they they were because they did that album chipmunks meets the Beatles yes because yep, I remember yeah, yeah. my neighbor yep. having it as a kid and I've got if you need you remember to borrow my copy yeah. I've got remember it. the first line of the record uh, all right chipmunks got your hair on straight yeah yeah and it was like oh my loving it was yeah, yeah. like I remember <laughs> that stuff is Matador reissuing that record <laughs> it's like a double CD can they actually uh, yeah well, doesn't uh, well the guy who played David Seville his family still owns the rights to all that stuff doesn't he but I can't believe they're the ones that sued Prob- the Beatles probably didn't. Yeah. Beatles were just too busy doing their own thing at that point, you know, <laughs> which is, it's pretty amazing. Sued. Now, speaking of covers. Sued by the chipmunks. Imagine getting that letter. Yeah. Can you Man. imagine? When you mentioned fakes, I, I love the title of the album, Fake Book, because when you did that, all those books that you saw as, you know, when you were in music stores as a kid, I always wondered what fake book meant, you know, when I was a kid. I'm like, why is it say fake book? But I know these songs and it was because it wasn't the actual real notes supposedly yeah. it was just kind of like they threw the thing together but uh i so was that the, your inspiration behind naming it that at the time i mean did you s- certainly those books i mean i think it just i think it did it had that kind of mysterious quality well what what is a fake book exactly mm-hmm. you know, I yeah i remember the ultimate fake book that was the one that was in the music store in, in in my town yeah and it was and it had like it was a really interesting compilation it didn't really have any rhyme or reason yep it was some it was hits like, it was just, some classic songs it's, it's it was almost like in case of emergency like these yeah. are songs you might need to know in any situation yeah uh you know who knows in case of in case of fire you'll need to know the following songs yeah so it, it was sort of like a survival guide yeah it's kind of it was, it was bizarre do you own any of those books Ira? Or James, no. I don't. I don't. No, neither. Clearly, do I. I don't. Yeah. I looked at him and I just the word the word fake book on those books was kind of it was it put, it put you off, but it was a great name for an album. <laughs> you know, in retrospective. Speaking of covers, Yola Tango is destroying the classics. When I saw that you you when you were doing that record of of your performances on FMU, the radio station in Jersey. I love it because it reminded me of replacements when they did when the shit hits the fans. Remember that covers record yeah. they did where they had like Hitching a Ride by Vanity Fair and they did a bunch of other songs like Jailbreak. And it was interesting because your choice of songs, I know you did everything from The Night Chicago Died by Paper Lace, right? To yeah. uh, It was just cool. How did, how did you pick those songs that you guys were doing? Was it something that someone suggested? I know that sometimes they would call you up and ask you for songs on the air. No, no, or, exclusively. 100%. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was, right? It was a compilation of... Um, Way back for the last many years, that is, yeah. we've uh, gone on FMU during their fundraising marathon for a shift, and people who pledge during that shift get to make a request, and we try. Unlike the replacements, we are trying. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, those are just crazy drunken nights. Yeah, 
there. We are not. As, we are not as drunk. They're drunk. They're drunk and not trying. And they're still playing those songs better than they're playing <laughs> <laughs> sober and trying. <laughs> what was the hardest one for you to cover? Like when somebody asked you and you were trying to do it and it just fell apart. Was there one like that? Or? Well, I'm not sure. That's, that's most of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's not necessarily the hardest. The, the hardest would be like songs that that don't. I mean, Hitching a Ride, for instance. I mean, I think that's the, the beauty of uh, the replacements record is those songs sound great disheveled. Uh, some of the songs that people would request, you know, I just wasn't made for these times. It's not really a song. Yeah. That's like Doing uh, something itself. for Pet Sounds uh, yeah. impromptu is a very difficult thing to do, especially with those chord changes. I but. think the hardest <laughs> ones are the ones that you kind of know, yeah. and you're trying to concentrate in the moment and remember how it goes. Uh, one year, one of the, it's like a three-hour show every year. Generally. A three-hour show that that lasts uh, thirty-seven hours, and we uh, somebody in the first couple of minutes requested uh, "Come Sail Away" by, by Sticks, by Sticks, and it just stuck in my head. It was like I know that song, I know that song, and over the next three hours, as we were like fielding, you know, hundreds of requests and trying to slap things together in the back of my mind, I'm like, second verse of "Come Sail Away," and then it goes to the other part, and then at the end of the show, it was okay. Let's do it. And I, I left it all on the court, as they say, uh, in on Sports Center, and I, I blew out a rendition of uh, "Come Sail Away" that will never happen again. Yeah. <laughs> but, Have you listened but, to it a couple times since? No, I, it's too yeah. emotional. I can't listen. To yeah, it. you're like, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I can't remember. I feel like that must be on the because uh, we've actually been compiling a second volume. I don't remember. It, we we got very close and then got distracted by making a re- regular record. record. <laughs> <laughs> making now a regular record. Whatever. What Priorities. Yeah, no. <laughs> Doing your own <laughs> Which is great. So what will be on that second one? Well, I'm that's sure. what I'm Oof. saying. I honestly don't even remember anymore. God, I don't either. I know. I, I remember the uh, the Chantilly Lace medley. Yes. I know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh boy. Every year. Well, I noticed on the last one, you had that medley that had even Sonic Reducer in it. It yeah. was like a... Uh, <laughs> well, it's you know. kind of this catch-all thing we do at the end of the show where I always... You know, it feels like, you know, I remember donating money to the Jerry Lewis Telethon and being so let down when he, my name didn't appear on the screen. Yeah. So uh, I feel like even if we don't get your request, if we at least acknowledge having received the piece of paper by just throwing a lyric into something, we try to, at the end, it's, I mean, the whole show is pretty much an apology, but this is <laughs> an even yeah. bigger apology. So a formal apology, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's got to be fun for you. I mean, it's. I mean, that's just got to be a blast all the way around. Now, you know, seeing you as a part of the the Hoboken music scene. I mean, you know, since we're both from, we're all from Jersey, and originally, you know, seeing you guys in the early days there at Maxwell's and just run and run around the city for all this time. You got to tell us how you were affected by Hurricane Sandy, and because Hoboken in parts of the town were just devastated. Yeah. Well, the the person who was most affected within our group is the, is the person who's not here, is Georgia, because I was actually out of the country, which came with its own anxiety. But she was home, and like everyone in, well, like almost everyone in Hoboken, lost power. And we did better than than a lot of people. We, we live on a high floor, and we rehearse on a high floor, so we did fine. We actually... Uh, all the money that we raised at the Hanukkah shows this year went towards 
different organizations that are helping with the cleanup, both in Hoboken and throughout the area. Yeah, that's good that you did that. It's it's crazy. I'd heard about some of the the music uh, studios over there and storage places like yeah. Sonic Youth and Lenny mm-hmm. Kravitz and, lost a, and a bunch of other people lost a lot of equipment and things. Oh, that's a shame. You know? But, I mean, you saw the community really banding together over there as they, as they, uh, as they do, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, George ended up, uh, when it everyone, all the residents were being told to stay in their apartments, but Georgia was, like like pretty much everybody, was with no power and dwindling cell phone battery, and she was all by herself and finally just looked out the window and saw that there were enough people who were defying the curfew and going out, and so she asked a couple people what it looked like out there and she went went wading the water and, yeah, yeah ma- well, imagine yeah water Water's, water is a yeah. uh, is a mm-hmm. kind uh that's a, a conservative way of talking about but uh <laughs> but ended up fine and, and then james came out to hoboken and so they wanted to check out what space our uh, what condition our rehearsal space was in and cell service was very erratic so they ended up just like walk walking around hoboken until they just bumped into each other yeah that's true that's and you two finally found each other we did yeah just at at the corner of uh washington and fourth we just bumped into each other did you guys go find like a bar or somewhere to eat or what did you guys do no no there there kind of wasn't any i mean everything was shut there was um it really were having they would have drinks out in front of uh one or two places on on washington street and some places were just giving away food because they knew it was going to rot anyway without the refrigeration, oh, yeah, that, right? Yeah, but it was it was there were they were like but there were there were people like you know giving away cookies. People who had power had just you know ran extension cords out to the street so people could recharge their phones and and computers and stuff. And it was there were signs you know Wi-Fi here if you stand in front of my apartment. Yeah, here's you know here's the password. It was pretty amazing. That's good that people were banding together. I mean that was the thing. I ended yeah. up. Uh, Walking three towns to find a place over, like from where I was in Harrison, wow. I walked over to Lyndhurst to a diner there, and they let me charge my phone and my wow. computer there. Wow! And uh, you know, I just saw, but but you know, anything like this, any kind of tragedies or emergencies, they bring out the best and the worst in people. You know, mo- you want to believe it's the best, but there's also those people gouging for ten dollars for gallons of gas. And I never you heard know. that, at least within Hoboken. I'm yeah. Happening. No, it wasn't in Hoboken, but that was kind of more on the outskirts. And a lot of those people, you know, got in trouble. They brought some lawsuits against them, which I thought, you know, it's, you know, they basically asked for it in a situation like that. It was like freaky that. to be in Europe and mm-hmm. be turning on CNN and there's Anderson Cooper. Yeah. And like, in, uh, your, in your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Were we, you were over in Europe at the time? What country I was actually you doing press for this record. On a, I was on a press trip and, I mean, the the great irony was that we decided this year that I'd just go do it by myself. Everyone <laughs> else can stay home and relax. And and, and they had the most unrelaxing week of the year, you know. James, I know what that's like because it's a weird feeling. It's very, it's almost like a post-war. Like, I think, you know, Tom Sharpley actually said in an email that he sent out to friends that I saw, mm. low-level panic was the word, the <laughs> expression that he used. <laughs> when I got the email from it, there, it definitely yeah. <laughs> it, there definitely were like just just kind of very weird dystopian moments when like the, you know like a the entire wall of a of what I called as a very cheaply built condo across the street from my house blew off. Yeah, and uh, you know there was just styrofoam and duct tape that was holding it together in the first place, and then it was all over the street. Uh, but down in Red Hook, Brooklyn. 
pretty like really close to where I live. Um, some friends of ours who run a record label there, they were completely destroyed by by water, and and I I went down there and, and helped them just lug soaking wet boxes of vinyl out of their warehouse. And as we were doing that, um, there were just people, just tourists, taking pictures of us yeah. as we were doing that. And I guess you could add that to the add this to the you know a certain level of panic. They almost got murdered. Yeah, because you're like people. We don't. You know what? Well, you don't do that. Yeah. You, you don't. You're not a war correspondent. Yeah. You're not, yeah. yeah. Well, and it goes on to this day in New Orleans. I mean, yep. It's still like, yeah. You know, the yep. Bus tours. Yeah. I mean, people it's still ridiculous. go downtown to look at the hole. I was going to say 9/11. You see people there smiling, taking pictures in front of yeah. them. They have no idea what the horror of that morning was like. <laughs> have a nice vacation, you know? everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. <laughs> what record label was that, guys? Norton. Oh man. The Norton record label. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. They had a lot of vinyl. So did they were they able to salvage any of it? Where was it? Quite more? a bit. Um apparently there are uh scientific ways to wash vinyl. Yeah. And that's what they've been doing. Uh luckily the majority of their catalog is vinyl and um, you know, like saltwater destroyed CDs instantly. Um, oh yeah, it did. You know that whole. You remember years ago when CDs first came out? And they're like they're indestructible. Indestructible. Yeah. I remember somebody saying you can rub peanut butter on it and play it. I'm like, but how does the laser get through peanut butter? Not. Yeah, they have. They have. They, have, they haven't <laughs> built that peanut butter proof uh, player yet. But they will. They <laughs> yeah. will. I, all I can say is I remember a nor'easter flooding my one of my storage units and losing a lot of vinyls and vinyl and CDs. And the CDs, it like almost immediately ate the information off the CDs. Yep the water so you know but they're they're literally hand washing vinyl records and you know reordering sleeves and i think they'll be able to to reuse quite a bit of of what we were able to take out of there which was pretty amazing that is incredible i think that's that's very cool this is the Hivecast with matt pinfield now we, we go back to maxwell's and the early days of hoboken what, do you remember the first gig that you did there ira i know it was oh yeah I, I remember the first Yola Tango date. We had played there. George and I had played there. We used to have parties where we would play cover songs and invite different friends of ours to come sing in the course of the party. Uh, so that preceded that. And that stuff I remember vividly. Some of the more recent things, it gets fuzzy. But yeah. <laughs> the old ones, for sure. I have a question. Yeah. Was that Maxwell's, did Maxwell's go from a neighborhood joint so like a national touring act joint or was it always a national touring act joint no that it, it would have been that would have come later because uh, i remember seeing like that young marble giants reissue that they played there in like was it 80 or 79 well, or something like there, that but still it was it was less a less common stop right. for yeah town band. and it got at, around 82 83 it really started to kick in i think or maybe even 81 what do you think but but well yeah. certainly prior to that though i mean the yeah marble giants would have been sooner i mean mm. yeah it would just feel these bongos. You guys, I think. Yeah. I mean, I I think it was always a great place to play and so, to to go to. And I think, for all I know, I had some impact on that writing about what a mm -hmm. cool venue it was. And it did have that. It was you weren't quite playing New York, even though you really were. You were right. trying to reach the same people, but it would be a way of sneaking in another show. Maybe I know. Uh, 
I have a friend who uh, jump-started X's car after uh, <laughs> yeah. their show there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's all kinds of there's X, and then years later, Happy Mondays almost got arrested outside on the street outside of there. For I think they're- It's a safe bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there were some great- But there were so many shows to see there yeah. over the years. And the great jukebox, that, that, of course. Yeah. I'll always remember the music machine, Masculine Intuition, People and Me single in there, and just being in shock that anyone in the world- Wow. Had it or cared about it other than myself. So <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a Quality bittersweet single. day when it went yeah. to the CD jukebox. Yeah. Um, so get, getting back to the record, tell me about that song, uh, "Stupid Things," on the new record. Well, like pretty much every song on this record, and most every song we do, it it just started with us jamming in the rehearsal space. And I guess I mean on the on the song, James is playing drums, and George and I are playing guitar, and I don't remember why that the song probably started that way, but we just we put out a, a twelve inch of it earlier this year of a recording we made pretty quickly. We wrote it and thought, let's make a multi-track recording of it. This I, I think we've just been doing more of that and kind of doing fancier demos. So we we did this long version that's probably like I don't know twelve minutes. That's twelve. Long. Yeah, I think it's twelve. Yeah. Minutes. It's like- and then just started fooling around with it, adding fake strings and fake reed instruments. So I came up with this melody, and we recorded it even though it had no actual words. I just sort of know when I want to sing, if not what. And uh, James put it through all this processing stuff. We had this sound we liked quite a bit. So on the record, we used... A substantial amount of the recording that we did in Hoboken, we redid the singing, and Georgia redid her guitar part, but quite a, and added some some real strings. Mm-hmm. Although we left some of the fake some of the fake ones actually sounded. When it came time to edit it, though, what was that experience like for you? The edit was, I loved that the vocal version was the alt, yeah, <laughs> and the twelve minute <laughs> instrumental that was the A side. Yeah, uh, it was. It really was just just a matter of opening another session and laying a new version of the song over top of right, elements that we had so already recorded. Edited, right? we yeah, we just did it again. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. remixed, Shorter. basically. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Just it's a self-editing job. You know? Exactly, <laughs> self-editing, very important. But I love the way, you, like you said, the instrumental is the A side and it's flipped over for the vocal side. Of it. <laughs> you know? Paddle it, forward. It is how the song, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, you, you, you were well, answering questions. Most of, you know, most of the songs have a 12-minute genesis. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are never meant to be heard that way. And then some of them are, well, we thought that one was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's a great track. Paddle Forward on the record I love too. Uh, Tell me a little more about that song itself. That was one of the last ones to be written, the lyrics to be written. Our lyrics are always done like because they have to be. Tends to be the last thing we do is sing the songs. Like Ohm, the lyrics were written... Between uh, sound check yeah. and set time, really, like the night the night the, you had to play it. We had been playing it. This was before we recorded it, right? Yeah, yeah. And we were playing at a this really amazing, great festival that we've been to a few times in Barcelona, the the Primavera Festival. And we had really been thinking, it's like, oh, you know, we were really excited about that song, and we really wanted to play it, but it didn't have any words. And so we did it at sound check, and then. We weren't sure, and then 
<laughs> as we convened backstage before we played, Ira handed out lyric sheets. It's like, all right. That's great. <laughs> great. Yeah, we sang it a cappella like uh, Yeah, three or four times. And it's like, and okay, let's go. Basically, and then just went up and did it. Did yeah. you open with it that day? Did we? Or did you play it? I don't there? think we opened with it. No. I can't remember. Because we, we then the lyrics would be fresh in your mind. <laughs> yeah. also, well, I mean, we, had we you go, did you guys hold the lyric sheets? It's we like, were, you know. We weren't, we weren't off yeah, they were on the floor. Yeah. So your eyesight's are good enough that if it's on the floor, you can see it. It's pretty big enough. <laughs> well, the, you know, we big type. Yeah. Yeah. Paper. yeah. There's a lot of words to that song, too. And that was the other thing. I think we were fe- feeling like, well, three people singing at once, outdoors. <laughs> Even if we knew what we were singing. Yeah chances of people actually understanding us were minimal. So we just thought as long as we're kind of in the same ballpark, it'll work for that. Show. Yeah. No, I think it's it's a great track. Primavera Festival. Tell me, I mean, how, is that you've done that several times now, right? How many yeah. Have you done yeah. it? That's a great festival I hear. I would love to go over to Barcelona you would to see it. It's great. It, it is great. Tell me about it. Just kind of giving an, everybody an overview of of what that it's it's really beautiful there too, isn't it? Oh yeah, this place? yeah. Well, it's on the water, which is a uh, has pluses and minuses. There's probably better smelling festivals. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, oh, so is it? Is it? Do you got him? Uh, is it? Actually, really I don't know about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what time of day it is, right? Okay. I've, I've smelled some pretty bad festivals in my yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, do you get that smell of uh, sea seafood and fish coming mm. off the water. No, not so much. Or is it Jack kind of that? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, okay. But the thing is, like, it's like any other festival in that there's multiple stages. But this one just is laid out really well. Walking from stage to stage is not an ordeal. But somehow, whenever you're at a stage, you feel like you're at that show. You're not constantly hearing other stages. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll hear at so many other festivals, you hear that. One ends, yeah. the other one's playing, or somebody will start early. They're supposed to originally go on, the other band goes long. So you've got this conflicting depending well, on I where mean, you're standing. Well, I mean, they are playing simultaneously. Yeah. You're just yeah. not aware of it. And so... Um, so I also w- find that the, the programming of, of that festival is kind of unusually kind to my tastes in music. And there's kind of always something that I really want to go see there that I just... It's like fantasy camp. Yeah. It's great. I love that. Who are some of your favorite people that you see there? We saw the Boredoms play there, closing the festival in 2006, I think. And they played at 3 o'clock in the morning. I believe they went on at 3 o'clock in the morning and played the most beautiful, like they never stopped. They played without stopping for about 90 minutes. And that was, that was like a dream. That was for, for lots of reasons because we were all half asleep, but also because it was it was just this otherworldly experience. Um, Did you ever get to play with them over in Japan? Or no, we've never played with them. But we, uh, I remixed uh, stupid things on the EP that we just did, and yeah, we're friends, and I think we're just kind of huge admirers of their sheer devotion to art. Yeah. <laughs> like those guys are lifers, and it's unbelievable. What an, it's a huge inspiration. That sounds great. I mean, there's, so there's three stages. I want to be sure more. Six? Six, six seven? Eight, wow. Yeah. So it's bands from all over the world, too. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who else did we see last time? Last time I saw less music than... Oh, I that's right. Well, you were, you were you you did the Big Star show there. Yeah. That's right. Was Oh, you were doing a Big Star show at the festival or they, in yeah. town in Barcelona? Chris Amy put this thing together of a uh, of a orchestrated version of 
the third album. Yeah. They did that show in New York a couple of years ago uh, with, and just different people came and sang the song. Like Holocaust and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And I was part of it. And uh, Which so, song did you do? Uh, did uh, Odena and Take Care. Yeah. It's amazing to hear, you know, how influential that third record, Sister Lovers, is had become in third because, you know, as as years went on, it finally got released on PVC, that Jersey label, yeah. remember? Yep. Yeah. That was the first way that Big Star fans who had Radio City and number one record. Yep. That, um, was, that, was, that was the first one that I heard. And that was the first copy. The PVC copy was the one that I, that's the one that I went out and bought. I remember when it came out. Because believe it or not, I how I found out about Big Star was I was visiting a radio station in New Brunswick when I was like nine, ten, and they were throwing out singles. So I got a seven-inch <laughs> on Ardent Records of wow. Don't Lie to Me with Watch the Sunrise on the back of it. And among a couple other things, like a Holly single and some other stuff. And um, I uh, remember falling in love with that, so I mowed a lawn to go, and I found <laughs> I found number one record in Radio City. They were selling them for two ninety nine at like the English Town Flea Market. I saw them hanging up on like a hanger. And I went, I want that, you know? <laughs> And they're like, nobody nobody bought this record. It's been sitting here. I'm like, that's okay. I want that record. <laughs> and it's it's funny how, in retrospect, how influential that record became all the way around. Yeah. Alex Chilton, Chris Bell. You know, it's pretty amazing. So seeing how much the third record, a record that came out years after it was recorded and how influential it's been, it's, just, it's pretty amazing. Is that your favorite of the three? Yes. Yeah. So, guys, so what's the, what's the next plan for, for Yellow Tango? Are you guys going to be... Going out and doing more more dates for Fade at this point. Oh, yeah. You start yeah. like at the end of January, right? January twenty second or something like that, or is it? That's our first like concert appearance. But even the day after it comes out, we're flying to the West Coast to play at a couple record stores. So, hey, which ones are you playing at? Uh, we're playing at Amoeba in yeah. L.A. and San Francisco and Fingerprints in Long Beach. But that's great though, Amoebas. Yeah. Do, you, do you get lost in there like I do? It takes me like you know. I walk in there. I've heard people say, I've heard some people say, which I laugh. They're like, I walk in there and it's so overwhelming. I have to turn around and walk out. I'm like, actually, I'm the person, kind of person who walks in there who doesn't want to leave. Well, uh. I, it's funny. I distinguish <laughs> between the LA and the San Francisco one. The San Francisco one almost does feel like too much for me. LA, I don't know, maybe because it's got the two floors. Somehow, I feel like I can navigate. The LA store more uh, less stressfully than I yeah. the San Francisco one. How much do you guys walk out with when you go there and you play? Do you buy stuff when you go do performances there as well, or when you're passing through on tour, James? During an in-store performance, I won't I won't shop as as rapidly as I will when I feel when I'm feeling more incognito. But um, yeah, I've taken a I've taken a trunk of records out of that place before. <laughs> How about yourself, Ira? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll find myself replacing like old box sets and weird stuff. I'm like, because it's on sale, you know? If I can't find it, <laughs> you know? I'd be a fool not to get this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you realize you have three copies. No, you know. But anyway, guys, I just want to say it was great to have you come by today. I enjoyed Thanks, having you, you here. Enjoyed talking music with you and catching up with you again. But uh, So the new album is called Fade, and it's out on January 15th. That's right. And it's out on Matador. Guys, thanks again for coming by today. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. It's Ira Kaplan and James McNew of Yolo Tango. This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.